You're listening to Pop, the History Makers, with me, Steve Blame. In part two of this interview with Marion Gold, he talks about the new album of rearranged orchestral versions, including the hits. But first back to his influences, and he mentions oblique strategies. The Brian Eno-Peter Schmidt set of cards, first published in 1975, with suggestions, thoughts and ideas that are used to break creative blocks. It's great that you mentioned Bowie's androgyny um, as uh, something that, that really, you know, sort of influenced and in, interested you in a way. And um, the other thing that Bowie's lyrics, because he, uh, you know, he sometimes used the cut-up technique, they were they were something that were very open to interpretation. And in in essence, um, your lyrics um, for your music are also something. <laughs> exactly there we are oblique strategies this is held up yeah and uh, it's the same thing isn't it it's the way uh, it, it's the interpretation is left to the listener in in essence and i think from alphaville tracks that many people have a different interpretation of what they're about and don't necessarily sort of look right in to see what they're about so was that something that you gleaned from Bowie? Because I don't think OMD did that so dramatically. It was more the musical side of OMD probably that you were into. Um, English is uh, it's, it's not my, my, my mother, mother language. It's, it's uh, um, so I, 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 because it is not like that, when I write lyrics, uh, it's it's a, a bit like a patchwork. So um, it came. It, 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 this technique of, uh, for instance, of oblique strategies, you know, and in, in, in putting putting uh, lines together, uh, I invented it long before because because uh, because I was an alien to the English language and uh, my my uh, uh, <clears throat> way of constructing lyrics. Uh, I mean, the strategy that I used was was very much the same <clears throat> from the very beginning. For instance, uh, Forever Young is just a collection of uh, lines from uh, big movies. And I mean, the, the thought behind it was to make a comment about uh, the political circumstance of the time. But um, it was a really, ran- I mean, the lyrics are really randomly putting to put, put together. You know, it, it's uh, uh, so uh, it was. Um, it was always a, a quite um, uh, avant-gardeistic <laughs> thing to to write for me to write uh, ly- lyrics in English. You know, and I, I, straight from the beginning, I I, I wrote English lyrics. Um, people are always asking, "You're a German band?" You know, we also had German songs, and. Um, well, and they asked me, why, why do, do you write English lyrics, your German band, you know, and you, uh, your German is much better than your English. Uh, I think my lyrics aren't, aren't that bad in my English lyrics. But the thing is, um, well, we had at the time, before we recorded the first uh, album, we had a couple of German songs and a couple of English songs. The German songs uh, uh, was uh, Blauer Engel, Blue Angel, or um, another one was... Um, um, uh, Tom Tensor, um, and uh, another one was, um, <clears throat> um, I don't know, 
And then we had the English song and the English songs, and it was sounds like a melody big in Japan for everyone. <laughs> so we, <laughs> what can we do? Uh, we went for the English songs. God damn. <laughs> you developed your sort of artistic dreams in Munster with this collective. What was exactly the collective? Because it sounds when I, you know, when you read the Nelson Collective, it sounds like some sort of big thing. But what, what was it exactly? It was it was just a, a con convention of lost souls, you know. We and <laughs> with a with a social social socialistic um, direction, you know, politically. You know, that there was that we would share all the incomes of our future grand glorious pro, pro, project that we're going to, we were about to do. And um, <clears throat> uh, so we had a photographer, we had a, we had a, a sculpturist, we had a, uh, we had a lot of musicians who couldn't play. <laughs> and probably also the painter could paint. No, actually Michael was the painter and he could paint very well. He, he was probably the only one who really could do something uh, professionally. And um, yeah, and, um, and then in the end, it was Alphaville who saved the day for the, for the, for the project. And, and the project carried on up to 95. And I must say that there was never any, uh, uh, any discussions about, uh, um, you know, we shared all the money, all the income with the whole project, you know, up to that point. And when, when 95 arrived and everybody went its own ways and uh, had uh, followed uh, other, other uh, careers. And it was um, uh, still, we have, we are in good to contact. I know it was, it was a great, great time, you know, the Nelson project. And, you, were, um, sorry? Sorry, you were one of the bands that achieved massive international success. And um, I just wondered how that success, when, you know, you, you explain the past and the past is very poverty written, ridden. it's, you know, sleeping on a park bench, it's, you know, the being homeless aspect, it's having no money in Munster, even with this collective, um, and being, you know, having this sort of social awareness of, of what the future should be. Um, but then you have this massive success. So how does that massive success change your thinking um, when it comes? Not at all. No, it had, it had no significance for, uh, for us. Absolutely nothing. Um, um, yeah, that's all I can say. But, you know, it's probably because most of us came from a quite wealthy background. Maybe that is the reason. So this is, it's, it's not a, a great, it's not a big deal to behave like that. You know, I'm not very proud on that. It's, it's, uh, it's just, it was not what, what, what we're interested in, is that we weren't interested in money. And, and we thought, actually, <laughs> we thought to be very rock and roll because of that. You know, later I understood that, you know, being after money and want to become rich is also a very rock and roll thing. You know, is this also, I mean, so we were not rock and roll at all <laughs> because we were not interested in money. You know, it's, it's, I think this is very important. You know, it's a very important aspect for rock and roll, for the rock and roll idea is also, you know, to be rich, to be successful and uh, to have all the girls and all the boys and, you know, doing, and, you know, so uh, that, that was what we completely misunderstood the plot. <laughs> 
you know, but uh, yeah, we were very successful and, um, and I mean, we carry on to up, up today, you know, and I, I can't complain actually, it's, it's, it's a great voyage. The um, success, with that sort of success comes also the aspect of fame. And uh, fame is something that I think can get in the way of creativity. How did you deal with that aspect of fame or did you just enjoy it? <laughs> enjoyed it. <laughs> I mean, it was just, we never thought about writing another album or whatever. And it's actually, I mean, the first album was basically, I mean, most of the parts were written in, in uh, Münster in our creative exile, you know, because uh, we, we had really problems uh, getting a place where we could all live together in, in West Berlin, which sounds strange today, but it, it was like that. It was also very difficult to find a place where we could play music. And <clears throat> our drummer, uh, she had a, <clears throat> a grandmother in Münster and she had lots of houses, you know, and uh, we, so we could live in one of those houses in Münster. So we all moved to Münster and and after one week, everybody became quite homesick, you know, for West Berlin. And um, uh, uh, the, the first album is also the result of this homesickness. I mean, most, most of the songs are about, I mean, they're homesick songs, you know, about Jet Set, for instance, is, is about uh, the time when we lived in uh, those, uh, uh, I say, occupied houses, like, Squatters, a, yeah, as squatters yeah, yeah, when you squat yeah, somewhere. Right. And, and <clears throat> some in Berlin, you know, big in Japan, even that, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a song about heroin, but it's also, there's also a certain flair about it, you know, that even the backside of, uh, the, of the zoo train station can be a point where you kind of belong to in a way, you know, even it's, it's very hard to understand, you know, but um, <clears throat> so fame was just great. You know, it was just everything, everything became so cheap. You know, we, we, the people bought things for us, you know, we didn't have to buy things and uh, we had lots of friends and of Sunday we had lots of friends and we know exactly why why that happened. We knew we weren't um, we had no illusion, illusions about it and it was just a funny game. Uh, it's, um, and it I mean it, it's still today it's a funny game. I mean it's this it's it's a game. It's a it's a you know being a musician is such a great thing because you you don't have to grow up. You know you uh, it's. It's just, I don't know, it's, it's probably the best uh, explanation for it. You don't have to grow up. You, you're not forever young, but you don't have to grow up. It's, uh, <laughs> you, even, you're an old, uh, one day, you, if you're lucky, you're an old child. <laughs> one day. <laughs> you're listening to Pop, The History Makers, with me, Steve Blame. I think what I'm really getting at is that, that there's also pressures uh, that come onto a band or, you know, a group um, that success bring. And those pressures can change the dynamic uh, within the band. Did, did you feel that? And I know yeah. that, uh, so maybe explain. Yeah, yeah, it is. 
we had tensions between the band, uh, but that had nothing to do with fame or uh, with success. But you know, because we were we were so close to each other, and uh, we were working, we saw each other every day, and we were working together, and we were sharing everything. It was just like it became too much after a while, and and then it exploded when we did the third. I mean, I. When we did uh, the breathtaking blue album, I, I thought that was probably the end of the band uh, because it was there were like scenes happening in the studio that you can't imagine. <laughs> well, I can't imagine, so tell me. <laughs> no, it was just like I mean, we were we were to, we were discussing everything, you know, we were uh, questioning everything and. Nobody could really make a decision, you know, and everybody or somebody wanted to make a decision, then the other one said, no, no. <laughs> and, and why why no? <laughs> no. <laughs> and it was just like, yeah, it was really, it was really tough, you know. There was a moment when I had this argument with Bernard, and Bernard jumped to the uh, <clears throat> to the machine and wanted to erase all the 24 tracks, you know, for, for the song that we, and Rick just jumped behind him and took him down and ripped him from the, from the machine, you know, and things like that. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was like a, a um, I say like a, a, a problem between husband and wife or something. <laughs> It sounds a bit like your army period, to be honest. <laughs> I want to come up to present day because I wanted to start with that that album and, and with the uh, German film orchestra Babelsberg or the Deutsches Film Orchestra yeah. Babelsberg. How did that come about? What was the idea behind it? And what does this sort of orchestral development of those songs, what is it achieved with the songs? Well, I, I think the most, <clears throat> or that, some of the songs for the first time sound like they should have sounded from the very beginning. I mean, they are, um, when we created them, uh, they were very much influenced by our um, experience with classical music. And um, um, when, when I heard the orchestra playing, uh, for instance, a song like Lassie Come Home, uh, for the first time, I was in tears because uh, I mean, it, the song has this very long intro that <clears throat> uh, that I wrote. Lessing Home was the first one that I wrote completely on my own. And when we recorded it for the first time for, for a second album, um, um, I thought there should be also a part, a part for Bernard and a part for Frank. So that is the reason for the length of the, the intro. You know, the first half of uh, the, the instrumental stands for Bernard, the second half stands for Frank, and then I start singing, you know. So, so this was the uh, the three of us, you know, one song. And um, <clears throat> I had just these melodies on my mind and, um, and we re-recorded those melodies, but when we recorded them with, uh, uh, with this symphonic orchestra, uh, it suddenly developed, you know, into something that had, it, it was just its character. It was, that was the whole thing. It was for the first time the song was, felt really complete. 
And uh, that happened with uh, a lot of other songs as well. So um, some other songs actually were a little bit more problematic. So, um, but I had no uh, problem you know, to change the song so that we could also, that they would also fit in, in that, uh, in that area of, of music. And then be, they, they became also very, very interesting. Actually, the most interesting songs on the album are those songs that did not fit to this idea of symphonic music, because we, we had to do something with them. And that there was an additional creative process that uh, uh, made these songs even more interesting than, uh, than the, they were in their original form. Can you tell me about that, what that creative process was or that collaboration was and how it worked? Uh, this is very hard. I mean, it's, it's just like, in the most simple way, um, we had to turn them into a ballad, you know? like Dance With Me, for instance, you know, which is um, a kind of pretty brainless song in a way. I mean, probably the most brainless lyrics I ever wrote in my life. Um, and, um, and we made it as a ballad and it became unbelievably sad by that. I mean, it's just, it's like a blah, it's like a really up-tempo, funny, funny song, you know, and uh, it became so sad. And all these brainless lyrics turned into something very deep, <laughs> suddenly, really. I mean, uh, without, you know, I, it was never my intention, you know, but suddenly I, 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 I uh, understood, they told these words, these lyrics told me something that I, I it was, it really came as a surprise. And, um, and that, that was actually the, 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 the great thing about, you know, you know, that we had to change some of the songs and to make them fit into this, into this area. And that once they were in this area, the, 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 the environment, you know, changed the meaning or just brought the meaning out, the meaning out for the first time. I, I'm very, very much... Um, a believer in, or not a believer, but I, I'm very much into this theory that when we create things, we create also a lot of other things at the same time without knowing it. It's because our brain is such a vast universe, such a big universe, you know, and it, 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 there's so many connections and, and, and so many subconscious things that are going on. And we, we're not aware of all these things that, that happen at the very moment when we, when we compose or when we create things. So that every, everything that has uh, been created has so many other sides. And, uh, and it's just, it just um, I think it's the, that, that thing that we uh, put the songs into the, into the symphonic shape just shed an, a different light on them and made them look completely different and their, their meaning also. You're listening to Pop, The History Makers with me, Steve Blame. I mean, I find that really fascinating because I think that any artist that creates, uh, creates something that touches the audience because somewhere in both our psyches, 
we connect through the music. And in essence, you're saying that there is, a, there is another layer to the, to the, the psyche of the process of, of creating, which is already there, but you may not know about it as the creator, where the audience may actually hook onto that in any case. So they sort of find it in any case. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's just like <clears throat> the audience, I mean, in a, in a concert, and in a concert it's different, but when you, when you, when you release something, um, and people buy the record, it's, it's just like that as if the music would be reflected by a million different mirrors, you know, of, of, of the, all these people that's buying the record and listening to the record, because every, every person who buys is, is, is a different reflection of the same, the same light, but it's a different reflection. Um, <clears throat> it's just as, as, as you just said, you know, just because of that, it is like that. And um, when, The, the great thing about live concert is a live concert is the it, it's just the channeling into one thing you know so that the band and the audience are completely I mean if the if the uh, if the gig really rocks you know then we are all on the same stage we are all on the same in the same channel in the same light in the same reflection in the same shadow it's This is, it's the opposite thing. That, that's why, why, why I also like to, 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 play, uh, to play a concert, to do concerts. And uh, it's, it's, it's also a very prostitutional thing. You know, you, you want to please the audience. At, I mean, you really want to do just that. You know, so when you find someone rehearsing songs, Uh, we're changing them quite a lot because of that, because we think, oh, no, we cannot play them like, in, like we did in the studio, because this is for the listener, you know, to the record or to the CD or streaming, it's, it's okay, but not when, you, when, you're, uh, when you're on stage and you're performing in front of an audience. And then we think about well, how could we fucking help please the audience, you know, with this song? And we become complete prostitute. I mean, it's and it's great. It's, it's a great feeling. It's, it's just suddenly, it is. You are absolutely free of any responsibility. I mean, it, it's also my deepest belief. You know that as an artist, you have no responsibility. It's it's the only place where you have no responsibility. You know, and and people come up and say, "Oh, you cannot do this. This is against ethics or morals." And I say, "Fuck off!" You know, we're not killing anybody with our art. You know, we we you, know, you do that. You know, but not us. Not not the artist. But saying it's prostitution is saying that you're giving pleasure over to the audience, but you're not expecting pleasure back. That's what essentially you're saying. But you do gain pleasure from performing with an, uh, an audience that is very with you or, or you're able to pull with you throughout the, the concert. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you, you, get, you get the pleasure back. I mean, it's, this is even, let's put it like a regular gig, you know, it's, it's just like, it's just great. I mean, you, you're standing in front of a hundred or a couple of thousand people and they're all interested in you. They're all coming to, to, to look at you, to, to listen to what you're doing. They, they, have, inter they have interest. In, they probably love you. You know, it's, you get so much back, even in a regular concert, which, which is just in a regular, you know, 
it's just one of one of many concerts, you know. But the, the, some concerts are really very, very special, and then it's it's just bam, it's perfect. It's it's just like a like a super fuck. <laughs> every, every experience in our life, we take something from, and we're able to use it in some way in uh, during the rest of our life. What have you taken from working with this orchestra that you feel now will change your perspective? for the future when you create music? Well, uh, I would like to do this one more time. And when I do it, then I will do it completely different than I just did it. Because I learned really a lot about working with an orchestra. And I made many, many mistakes. <clears throat> People at my side, you know, arrangers who prevented most of them you know, but it was, it was as if I would learn, you know, how to use a, a special tool, you know, and I, I would really repeat from this experience, repeat it, not, not in a way that I like uh, do, do the same thing all over again, but involve orchestra and the possibilities of an orchestra in the future half of the music. Uh, I, I would be very interested doing doing so you know like, like the Scott Walker thing you know but uh, what he did in his mid period you know and his um, that uh, very very interesting arrangements you know which I mean it, it sounds like a regular orchestra but when you listen close I mean it's, it's unbelievable what they're doing harmonically and what they're doing it's just avant-gardistic you know absolutely so you can use the orchestra also in a very pleasant way uh, and also being yeah being very avant-gardistic at the same time you know in a, a pleasant sounding way of being avant-gardistic you know that, that is what Scott Walker is it's a perfect example for this I mean even in his late in his late phase he, you could still listen to to his music not not only because of his oh god his godlike voice but uh, uh, also the music I mean it, it was Unbelievable. I mean, it's again, you know, another guy, great guy, we lost in the last 10 years. Well, Marion Gold, as I started at the beginning, I said, you know, that you have, uh, uh, your music has accompanied me uh, for a long period in my life. Um, what I find fascinating about you is that you're very honest, very direct, um, and you have a wonderful sense of humor <laughs> that goes with it. Uh, and uh, I wish you many, many more years of success um, you. in your career and many more years of creativity because it's clearly that the creativity has been the major impulse in your life that has uh, kept you alive and kept you moving forward. So thank you from the bottom of my heart and uh, I hope to see you again one day. Thank you very much indeed. And uh, it was a really a great honor for me to talk to you here. Thank you very much. And that's it for this interview with Marion Gold. I'll see you each Monday with a new interview. Mm -hmm.